may be seated. Not yet. Not yet. Remember, we're trying to give you extra. <laughs> uh, in our pastoral prayer this morning, just uh, uh, various prayer needs that you you might have. I was just going to ask if anybody had a specific prayer need they would like prayed for this morning. Yes. So they don't know about what the tumor is yet. It's in her brain. Okay. And do you, okay. Do you know her name, or do you just? Well, we'll just say the young lady. Okay. Uh, what she said was that she has uh, a young lady that she knows that has a tumor in her brain, and uh, we'd like to pray for her that God would touch her and heal her. And the others. Okay. Well, let's pray together. Father, this morning we come to you first to acknowledge that you are the the creator of all things. You are the God of our salvation. You alone are worthy of our praise. And so we've come to worship you and to praise you this morning. We come to you also with a confidence that you tell us that we can approach your throne for, for mercy and for grace. And we think of this young lady with the tumor in her brain and we ask, Lord, that You would touch her body. That You would just cover her, again, Lord, with Your mercy and with Your grace and her family as well. And uh, we don't hesitate to pray for the miraculous, that You would bring healing. If necessary, then that it go through the doctors and, and, and that route, then Lord, we ask that You would bring wisdom to the doctors as to exactly what to do to bring strength and health to her body. And we confidently leave this young lady in your hands. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would receive from you through your Holy Spirit the things we need to to cause our walk to be stronger today, having been here together and talking and working and, and listening to your word. We worship you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. As Floyd noted, we are in chapter 8 of Daniel. And thank you, Floyd, for... Reading that because that means that I don't have to read it all now. See, so I appreciate that. And uh, what we're looking at is it's it's interesting. What what Daniel is looking at is future to him, and much of what he has to talk about is history for us. And yet, there's an underlying part of it that is not only history for us but also future for us. And that's the, the, the part of Scripture that, that's so fun to look at and to understand. Uh, the thing again is, is, is the, the, that we have this confirmation of God's Word. When we look at, at things that Daniel prophesied that since, since that time have come to pass, we can turn around with confidence and know God is sovereign. God is in control. If there's anything that you're going to get out of the book of Daniel... You've got to see that. God is sovereign. God is in control. And nothing can happen unless God allows it. 
And that's why we get to the, the lion's den and the, and the fiery furnace and all those things. God chose not to allow somebody to be devoured by the lion or, or three young men to be consumed by the fiery furnace. God intervened. He, he was there for them. And so, I just remind you that what comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so as we go through the Scripture, this Scripture even here today, as, as difficult as some of it is in Daniel to understand for application purposes especially, it is beneficial to us in our walk. The Holy Spirit will, will use it in different ways to, to, to strengthen our walk and our resolve to, to draw close to God. And so a closer look at Daniel's vision in the, in the first 14 verses of chapter 8, uh, is, is the vision that Daniel sees. And then verses 15 through 26, we have Gabriel explaining, the angel Gabriel explaining what this vision means, uh, that Daniel might understand the vision. Uh, he says, uh, understand, O man, that the vision is for the time of the end. That's one of the statements that he makes in verse uh, uh, 17 or 18 there. He says, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So, we know that this has to do with end times. Uh, and somebody will say, well, is there, you know, is this like the end times that Revelation speaks about? I think so. I think that's the, the final application. Um, and yet, within the framework of the immediate future, there is something that goes on with that ties with this that is a shadow, if you will, of the end times or a foreshadowing of the end times. And so, let's look at verses 20 through 24 and uh, we'll pick up this, this picture uh, that, uh, that Daniel has in his vision. The, well, let's go to verse 19. Uh, Gabriel says, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indig uh, indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Medea and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Who would that be? Alexander the Great. Okay? And, and as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four horns uh, arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. When Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided into four parts. Four generals of his army took over that part, and they were never anywhere close to as great as what the kingdom was under Alexander. And so, we have this... Uh, general explaining of, of what's going on. Uh, verse uh, 20, again talking about the ram. In verses 3 and 4 it says it's a charging ram. And it has two horns. The horns are, are told. We're told who they are. We don't have to do any guesswork here. 
the kings of Medea and Persia. Now, kings, they, they had united to form an alliance and they were very powerful and, and ultimately Persia became the dominant one. But, but the idea is that, that you, here's this ram with these two horns taking over pretty much what would be the Middle East and the known world, Babylon, and down in, in, in that area of, of uh, Iran, Iraq, and all of that geographical area there. And, and he conquered you know, uh, all of this. And so they were very powerful. And then verse 21 says, the goat. And he talks about the goat and, and as the king of Greece. Well, verses 5 and 8 talk about uh, the great horn. And that is Alexander the Great. He conquered the Medo-Persian Empire and more. Uh, in fact, almost all the surrounding countries of the Middle East, it extended literally all of, of, of what was known of Europe at that time, and that included up into the, the French areas and the German areas of, of modern-day Europe, clear to India. This is a massive kingdom. And, and you notice it's, it's said that uh, he did it without touching the ground. And I, you look at a statement like that and you say, what, you know, what's the significance of that? What it means is that he moved so fast it was like he was flying. And in other words, he, he did this quickly. And you think about it, he, you know, from 334 to 331 B.C., it took him four years to establish this kingdom. He was an amazing general, if you will. And, and he, he strategized, knew what to do, and man, he took over the world, literally the known world at that point in time. And yet, in verse 22, it talks about the, the goat's, horn broke, uh, goat's horn and it was broken. And in verse 8, 8 tells us it was broken. That was when Alexander died. That was 323 B.C. And that's interesting. He died a young man. He was a young man when all of this started and he died a young man. Um, there's a number of different things in reference to his health having to do with alcohol and other things that uh, they, they look at as far as uh, history goes in certain er- you know, books of history, talking about it. And, uh, but, but he was so in, in, engrossed in his collecting, if you will, his, his gathering of the kingdoms, and his, the assets that he was bringing together, and it was more than he could control in a sense of inside him. He died young. And it says that, again, like we were talking, it was, he was replaced by four horns, which is his four generals, and they divided up the kingdom into, into four different uh, identities, if you will, and they were never, any one of them, as great. But the interesting thing it starts with uh, we talk about in verse 23 it says and the latter end of their kingdom when the transgressions have reached their limit a king of bold face one who understands riddles shall arise in verses 9 and 4 through 14 it calls it the little horn this little horn arises we talked about this briefly in chapter 7 as well 
And it says that His power shall be great. But not by His own power. His power shall be great, but not by His own power. It's an interesting statement. You know, the, the idea is, well then, how, where, where is He getting His power from? And this is another one of those things where there's two sides to the, to the conversation. Depends on what commentary you're looking at. One will say it's satanic power. The other is, is what power God allows him to have. The bottom line is what God allows is the primary. No matter what, if you want to put Satan into this picture or not, no matter what, it's what he's allowed to have. Even Satan has to ask. According to the book of Job, you know, he, he, so everything is subjected to God's sovereignty. And I believe that that's really what this is, is speaking to as well. Not by his own power, but what God allowed to have happen. And, and it says in verse 20, he shall rise up against the prince of princes. Notice the P in princes in the first one, the prince is capitalized. Or, and if not, it should be. <laughs> and it's, uh, and, and, and because it's referring to Christ. Okay? The prince of princes. He shall rise up against the prince. In other words, he's going to rise up against God and against God's holiness. He's going to be anti-Christ. And then it says, as he comes up against this Prince of princes, he shall be broken, but by no human hands. He doesn't have any power of his own. He has to. It's allowed him, and he's destroyed, but by no human hands. Again, this tells us that it is. We see the picture of Christ in this, and I, I. I'm going to save it for a minute. So just, just not by any human hands. Now there's a historical fulfillment to all of this. Some of this has already happened in in a, in, in a very clear historical setting. Again, if you look at verses nine through fourteen and you you read through it, you find this this great person here. Uh, well, let's look at it. Verses nine through fourteen. Out of, uh, out of one of the horns came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great and even as great as the prince of the host. The prince is capitalized again. Okay? Christ. He thought he, and it's, and it's it, the way these words are arranged. It means he thought he was as great as. Okay, and the regular burnt offering was taken away, and 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 what it means is that he took away the the regular offerings at the temple, no longer allowed them to be done, uh, and and he he uh, he grew great, you know, and and strong. And and it says, and the host will, in verse 12 it says, and the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And, and that means of the Hebrew people that God's going to allow this to happen. 
And then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering and the transgression that makes desolate and and the, the giving over the sanctuary? This idea of the transgression that makes desolate, I'll explain in a minute. But it means that something happened at the temple that caused the people to no longer go there. It became desolate. It became empty. It became a place where the people didn't go. And this is the temple of God in Jerusalem. And He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. I'm not going to get into all the details here, but this has to do with reading some books that are called the Apocrypha. And within the framework of that, somebody will say the Apocrypha. Oh, anathema. They're not to be read. It's not to be read as Scripture. But they are historical volumes of stuff that happened. First and Second Maccabees has a lot to do with what we're reading this morning. And what they explain is about this Greek person, this one little horn that had, it tells us in verse 7, uh, chapter 7 had eyes and a, and a mouth. Uh, it, it tells us that, the, that this person, this horn, was uh, a person by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. What a great name, huh? Antiochus Epiphanes. His capital was Antioch, named after him. And Epiphanes was his own title given, given himself. He was really Antiochus IV. But he said instead, Epiphanes, which means the great. I am Antiochus the Great. They had a, a word that sounds similar, a minimes. I can't, I can't pronounce it right. But in the Hebrew language, it means uh, you know, one who's crazy. <laughs> and that was when they were shouting out his name, someone would shout that instead uh, as, they, you know, as, a, as a taunt. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, I don't know how else to say it, he was an evil man. Period. He hated the Jewish people. And the feeling was mutual. They hated him. And his, you know, he, he, as he, he, he lived, almost it seems, to taunt them. He made it illegal for them to circumcise, which is a part of the Hebrew culture and, 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 and the Hebrew law. Go back into Exodus and Leviticus and all this. He, he forbid them to circumcise. He outlawed Sabbath observances. So they weren't to worship on the Sabbath. They weren't to, to, to do the things that they had done faithfully according to Scripture on the Sabbath. It was a crime to read the Scriptures. And here we have Old Testament that talks about you know, putting them on your forehead, putting them on your doorpost, having them around you so that you are engulfed in them, if you will, that you're always seeing them, that they're part of your life. And he says, no, you can't read the Scriptures anymore. And there was one incident, and, I, and I don't, nobody knows for sure exactly what it is that happened but it happened in the area of Judea and Jerusalem. And 80,000 Hebrews were executed. 80,000. 
this man was as wicked and evil a man that you can imagine. First and Second Maccabees, I mentioned a little bit ago, they're historical books. They are between the Testaments, things that happened between the Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they explain some of this. First Maccabees, I think, is about 80 pages long, has 16 chapters to it. Second Maccabees is about probably 60 pages long and has 15 chapters to it. And, and it's a historical reference. And while it's not inspired Scripture, it's still considered valid history by most scholars. Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the eighth ruler of the Seleucid Empire. He lived from 175 to 160. Uh, he was the emperor from 175 to 164 BC. He died in 163 BC. He's considered by many scholars. You go into the commentaries of Daniel; they'll say he was a type or a foreshadowing of the Antichrist in reference to the end times in Revelation. Now, in this idea of a type, how, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the word type and the way it's being used here, but it's basically the idea of a tin type. In other words, something that is used to, to make for printing. And even in the old times, they used, they used a method that would be, you looked at it and you would say, what, what is that? And then you, you print it and you'd say, oh, it's a beautiful flower or it's a, or it's a picture or something or whatever. And t- what we have that are probably something similar that we can think of or identify are also a, a form of a type. And it's the old cameras where you slid the, 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 the filter in and the film in and poof, you know, there was a big light and the, and the, the film, the picture was taken and they pulled it out. And that became the type. And when it was developed, you could see what it was. But when you looked at it uh, on, the, on the tin type, you would look at it and say, I haven't got a clue. That, that I see a bunch of figures. I think there's a bunch of people there, but I don't know. And then when they developed it, it would be... How many of you have looked at even old negatives? And you're saying, don't have a clue as to who that is. And then somebody shows you the developed picture and you say, oh, it's Aunt Mildred. You know? Uh, it's, it's that type of thing that we're looking at and we're talking about is, is something that is not fully developed and clear. But very, we understand he is a type, a picture of what the Antichrist is going to be like. Now I'm thinking if a human person at this point in time can be this wicked and this evil, and, it, and it's only a type of the Antichrist, what the Antichrist is really going to be like. It was interesting that Antiochus Epiphanes, when he really went after Judea and after Jerusalem in 171 B.C., he killed the high priest. He had the high priest murdered. He dies in 163. Antiochus dies in 163. A, uh, 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 and, and that's seven years. 
And something in the Revelation about seven years and, and, and all this kind of stuff. It, it's an undeveloped picture. We can't nail it down. We can't say with absolute surety how it's supposed to tie in. But it's, a, it's, it's part of the picture of end times. And it kept saying, end times, you know, in the Scripture here and it, as Gabriel was explaining it. The desecration of the temple in end times is a big picture in Revelation. The, the, the Antichrist is going to, to desecrate the temple. Well, Antiochus Epiphanes did that. He put up a statue of Zeus, which people, some historians say, uh, according to what little they can figure out, kind of ended up looking more like him than, than some god. And, they, and the statue was put up in the, in the temple in, the, in, the, in, the, in, Ju, in Jerusalem. And not only was a statue, but an altar to Zeus. And on the altar, he sacrificed pigs which was an absolute affront to the Hebrew people. It was a food that they were not allowed to eat. It was a, 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 a blood that was not to be inter, intermingled with any of their sacrifices or anything like that. And, 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 and here he took a pig because there couldn't be anything more degrading to a Hebrew person than to sacrifice a pig on, on an altar in their temple. This guy is... He thinks wickedly. He was an evil man. A foreshadowing of the Antichrist, Revelation 13. As a result, the temple was desolate. The Hebrew people couldn't go there. It was unclean. They couldn't, you know, it was until the Maccabees. And at the end of the Maccabees, uh, uh, and, and their, their, Frequent revolutions, if you will, and fighting against all of us, eventually caught the, the Jerusalem and Judea back, and and they cleansed the temple. They they literally cleansed the temple in, in the sense of, of 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 what had been done there, and it was restored, and the people were allowed to return to it, and, and it became their central point of worship again. But this is what it's talking about. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. There's a there's a website called Got Questions. And it's a Christian website. Got questions. Okay? And, and there's one about who was Antiochus Epiphanes. And I just wanted to read this one thing. Antiochus Epiphanes is a tyrannical figure in Jewish history and he is also a foreshadowing of the coming Antichrist. The prophet Daniel predicts an atrocity in the temple in the end times. Daniel 9.27, 11.31, and 12.11, which we'll get to in the next week's. Daniel's prophecy concerns a coming ruler who will cause the offerings to cease in the temple and set up an abomination that causes desolation. While what Antiochus did certainly qualifies as an abomination, Jesus speaks of Daniel's prophecy as having yet to be fulfilled. In other words, something yet to happen in the future. The Antichrist will model Antiochus Epiphanes in his great pride, his blasphemous actions, and his hatred of the Jews. I thought that was a pretty good synopsis, or you know, a little picture of of who this man was. Now I want to go to the the book of of First John, the letter of First John. And the reason for doing this is this is where the Antichrist is mentioned in, in the New Testament, in First John chapter four, and. 
he tells us the spirit of the Antichrist is already with us. Listen to this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, the idea of, of spirit, every spirit means everything has a sense of, of... When they say spirit, it means a sense of understanding or philosophy about it. You read a book and the author's got a particular intent. Okay? So test, what does that intent do? Does it match with the Scripture? If not, then it's not that you can't read the book. It's that you understand that you don't want to be distracted by what that book says in reference to if it comes against Scripture. You'll say, oh, this doesn't stand. And you test it. That's testing the Spirit. And it has to do with politics. It has to do with religion. It has to do with songs. It has to do with music. It has to do with everything. Everything has something in reference to it that, that takes us somewhere. And so what's the, the, the move of that thing? What's the spirit of it? And, and so what, what John is saying is, is test every, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out in the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, I'm going to make a harsh statement here, and I know it's not going to be really popular, but I'm going to ask you that if I went to the city council or I went to the, to the school board of the, high, uh, of the school districts and asked them, do you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? What's their answer going to be? No, we can't do that. That's, that's church and state. We can't do that. What I'm suggesting is that means that they are open to teaching things that might not stand in God's Word. We as parents are obligated with our children as they go to school to be sure that we know what they are being taught. If we're just sending our kids off to school and, 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 and don't pay any attention, if you forget to go to, to Parents' Day and all of the different things that are opportunity to find out what's going on, you're not, you're not serving your children well. In fact, you have the right to sit in on a class if you want. You know, and, and, and check their checkbooks, check their, 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 the syllabus that comes with their courses and see what is being taught. Because you might say, oh wait, I wonder if my kid understands how subtle this is to distract them and take them away from the things of the Lord. We need to be aware. And so John says, test the spirits. See if they confess Jesus Christ. If they don't confess Jesus Christ, uh, then it's not from God. It doesn't mean you can't read it. It doesn't mean you can't watch it. It doesn't mean you can't do it. If you went to Disneyland, do they confess Jesus Christ comes from... Uh, no. Yeah, and some people, as a result, because there's witches and all the things, they won't go to Disneyland. That's fine if you have a conviction about that. But what I'm saying is, is that you simply understand where you're going, what you're doing. When you're out in the world, generally speaking, it does not confess Jesus Christ comes in the flesh. And so you need to have your eyes open everywhere you go. It's, 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 it's just simple. It doesn't say don't go. It says go with your eyes open to the Word of God and what it says. Well, how is that going to happen unless we're in the Word of God, by the way? We need to be in it on a regular basis in order for that to happen for us, to, to be a way of testing. 
And then he goes on. He says, test every spirit that it, it does not confess Jesus. It's not from God. And then he goes on. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming. Well, future tense. There's an Antichrist coming. But notice what he says. And now is in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist, which really was in Aristarchus' epiphanies for all intents and purposes. The spirit of the Antichrist has always been here. And, and, and what BJ read and shared uh, has a lot to do with that. And it's the me, myself, and I attitude. <laughs> you know, and, and we get sidetracked. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the spirits of the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In other words, the Word of God is the, the, the testing ground for everything. And so, when we're caught up with the news on television, when we're caught up with a, uh, a science program on, the, on the, the education channel or whatever, we back it up to against the Word of God and what it says. Where is it you're going to stand? And that's all that's all that's, that's coming across here, man. Aristarchus' epiphany—he uh, was—he hated God of the Hebrews. In fact, he saw himself as a messenger of, of of the gods. That's why he called himself Epiphanes, the Great. Look at just this brief part. I want to close with this this morning. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the payment, if you will, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. We as Christians come to this and we say, we are part of the kingdom of God. How are Christians going to be known according to Scripture? By the way we love one another. And so, it's, it's, if we see someone doing something wrong, we don't go back up and say, Anathema, we get away, never see you again. We, we, we love them back into you know, understanding or into fellowship. Into, we, we seek them to, 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 to be in Christ. There's so many things that would just throw people away. The church isn't one of them. It's not supposed to be. As we approach this, we come to communion. This is the epitome of God's love. It's a picture of God's love. He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have 
eternal life. And every time we share in the bread and the cup together, we're celebrating that picture. But we're not only celebrating His death and what He did, the propitiation for our sins, we're also celebrating His resurrection and that He's coming again. Because He said with this supper, when He shared it with His disciples, He says, I won't be doing this again until I return and bring you home. And so, all of that tied together. We celebrate this as a group of people who are in love with each other, in love with God, in love with each other, and in love with a dying world and wants to see as many as possible be in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've got a neighbor who's just plain despicable. (laughs) Pray. Look for opportunity to minister, to show your love, and to be kind. Even if the only thing in return is unkindness. And I'll tell you what, it will stand as a testimony for Christ and who you never know how that's going to work in bringing someone to the Lord. You may never see it. I think of all the people that witnessed to me through high school and other... They, they don't have, you know, probably a lot of them don't have a clue that I became a Christian. But I can go back to certain things that happened, clear back into to middle school of, of certain people that I remember now, teachers and students, who exemplified Christ in some way. And so, I just want to encourage you. Love one another. Even though things are, are headed towards the Antichrist, we, He's not a part of who we are. We're a part of Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to be afraid of Him. The fact that he, if, if He were to be here today and say that He could take our lives, no, He can't. He can take our, our, our physical life, but He can't take our lives. They're, they belong to Christ. all because of what He did on the cross. So let's share communion together. And uh, there is one thing before the... Uh, you can come up, uh, the singers come up, and, and, and but don't. I'm, I'm going to go to a song that you already sang just to point out something while you guys are coming up. Uh, you sang, Jesus, thank you. And in the chorus it says, Your blood has washed away my sin. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness know no end. Our response, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Let's share communion together. Uh, Come up and, and, and take the communion. We have the cup. On this side with the bread, there's two cups, one with the bread and one with the, the juice. And the other is a packet. You can go either way, but you need to come up and, and pick it up up here. And uh, you can take two and take one back to somebody that's, if, if you want to do it that way too. Oh, the throne.
Paul wrote to the Corinthians these words in reference to communion. He says, I received from the Lord what I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread together. Paul goes on, he says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us share the cup. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these emblems that remind us of your awesome grace the sacrifice that You made, that You emptied Yourself, came in the flesh, became a man, even the servant of man, even to the point of serving man on the cross. And then through Your resurrection, showing that You have the power over life and death. And that when we rest in You, we can rest with assurance that we have life in You. We worship You, we praise You, and we thank You. We ask that Through Your Holy Spirit, You go with us. Cause us to be the testimony You want us to be today, tomorrow, and always. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We worship You in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we close?
Amen. Lord bless, thank you for being here this morning. We've got refreshments in the back if you have time to visit for a little while. Have a wonderful sunny day.